Hello, welcome to Local Anesthetic Podcast, the most trusted name in local news. My name is Alex and this is Rob. Hello. And uh, this is episode 212 now, and it is Rob Election Night. Da, 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 yeah, da. Election Night special, but of course anybody listening to this, the election will have been gone and we'll either have a Tory government in power... Or probably some kind of minor, uh, some kind of coalition mishmash. I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, likely a Tory government. But you have to say, Rob, because you, you, unlike you, I never gave up on Corbyn. No. And he has shown himself in his campaign. I don't know if you've seen him the rallies he does because he's a different person. If you've seen him, he's properly. Alex, I are Steve I'll hold Coogan. My hands up. Steve Coogan. I know. Yeah, I know. I will hold my hands up. I was wrong. Yeah. However, let's wait until the next episode to see. Exactly how wrong I was. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but he's still done a lot better than people. Yeah, so, you know, mean, if he does better than Miliband, people can't really ever go at him. He's can just they? been transformed, and if he is able to mobilise the youth, then you never. Know. I mean, I unfortunately, I do think because this is where it all falls down, isn't it? That the youth they all say this, but then they don't bother to go out and yeah, vote. Yeah. And I wish now we could appeal to them, but we can't because it'll be too late. Yeah. Well, I, I've been reminding people on Facebook and Twitter to vote. So hopefully, and, and you are very influential, as we know. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, mean, I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but. Uh, yeah, um, but nonetheless, we just—I mean, all we can do just is wait. And I mean, I think—I think the worst case scenario is obviously the the, the Tory majority goes up. Um, best case, obviously, is a Labour win. I think that's highly unlikely. Um, but uh, we just have to wait and see. Yep, we will find out, Rob. We will find out. Now, you have got some news for us. Have you all set some updates? I have. So I've been uh, emailing Jennifer on and off over the last few weeks. Who's Jennifer from... Hang on, was that Jennifer from Canada? Yes. That, Canada? No. No, um, Seattle. That's right. Oh, yes. right, yeah. Lovely yeah. Jennifer. So um, I asked her whether she'd been listening to the back, ca- back catalogue, as we suspected. She found the episode. Let me just... Well, let me read the email. So her response was, uh, I've not... Uh, not all of it. So she hasn't, she hasn't listened to every episode of the back catalogue. Ooh. I'm still searching for that story about the sad guy who was in love with a woman and then transferred his affection to her sister. Uh, I know I've heard it, but I still haven't found the episode, unfortunately. Oh, so she's heard it. That's good. Good to know it exists, and it's not just a figment yeah. of our imagination. <laughs> We're getting word there. Yeah. Um, so she goes, continues, I could actually put together a spreadsheet of episodes and stories that is searchable, but I'd have to know what data points are relevant. What data we want, uh, in that we'd love her to do a spreadsheet, and then we can stick a like, table up on Wikipedia as well. That would be I absolutely said. amazing. We've been asking our listeners to do this for a long time, and Jennifer, you are the only person... If she does that, we will have to send her like something yeah. to Seattle. I would love to do that. It won't be that valuable, Jennifer. I'll be however, so she just oh, however, saying... I can't be bothered. No, no, no. She says, so yeah, technical shit like that is important. Of course it is. I would love to catalogue... Uh, I would love to create a catalogue index for you but only if Alex can remember that my name is Jennifer and not Jessica. Have I, well, today I said, who's Jennifer? So I've called her Jessica, have I? Apparently have. Which is weird, because I really like the name Jennifer. Yeah, I, I must admit, I hadn't spotted it, and I apologise profusely on your behalf. So I think uh, if you could issue a formal apology. <coughs> Jennifer, I will never forget your name again. It is a beautiful name. I don't know if people call you Jenny for sure or Jen, but I actually think Jennifer, the use of that name in its entirety, is the most beautiful way of saying name. I don't think it should be abbreviated. I don't think... You deserve to be abbreviated. Absolutely. She does say, um, or if not, just have Jessica do it. I assume she's another dedicated listener. (laughs) And I assured her that she wasn't as far as I was aware. (laughs) What a great... (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know if we've got a a Jessica Jennifer. She hasn't made herself known anyway. So that's what she's going to do, is it? Yes. Is that your news? Uh, It is, yeah. So I think we need to obviously sit down and and try to work out what salient points we want picked out from every episode. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a task. 
Uh, yeah, well, like, okay, Rob and I will meet about it and we'll get back to you and that would be absolutely amazing. And, and if and if she does that, we'll put it on the website or we'll do it because we've always wanted to do a Wikipedia article and there yes. can be a tape of episodes where Jennifer is credited. Jennifer yeah. from Seattle. Absolutely. Loyal listener. That is amazing. Has she sent us any more stories out of interest? Uh, not for the moment. We're getting a lot of stories at the moment. I know that Face is Strange, our, um, one of our... One of our followers who's been putting, you know, he, he does all the he does all the graffiti and stuff, and he's been putting posters of little posters on lampposts for us and everything all, like, all around the country. He sent a story finally, but we can't feature it this week. So we've got too much, but we are going to get to it. We are definitely, which is amazing. Um, anything else, Rob? Or well, am no, I? I think it's, it's, it is worth saying again that the caliber of stories we've been sent by our listeners is just phenomenal. I mean, yeah, thank um, you so much. For yeah, it. they are to, to the extent. Yeah, they are. I mean, I've got. Um, I, I'm doing myself too this week, and you've got another one. I think yeah. I have to cover something. As you know, between the last episode and now, obviously we've got international listeners and listeners from all over the country. But but people will be aware that there was a terrorist attack in London, which was absolutely yeah. horrific. Um, but we're not going to dwell on that too much. If you you know, there's enough on the media about that and the news and everything else. Very disturbing, very horrible, and particularly for people like Rob and I, well, well, especially me who's grown up in London, I used to work in London Bridge. Mm. But anyway, I've got, Rob, uh, an article that somehow related to this, which amused me, and not amused me to less than anything to do with the, uh, the horror of the attack, but because I've got a story from the new shopper from the 6th of June, uh, and the headline is, Ex-SAS soldier tells how to survive a terrorist knife attack in wake of London Bridge atrocity. Right. Now, do you remember, Rob, and I know you do, the first series of I'm Alan Partridge where he gives the... I knew you were about to say that. Where he gives the, uh, the, 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 the conference at the hotel where Sue Cook is meant to come and he ends up giving advice about how to disarm an assailant. But then Sue Cook pulls out. Yeah, Sue Cook pulls out and he gives advice about how <laughs> Take to... Take the fag out your mouth, Sue. Yeah, how to disarm... We could go on, Rob. Yes. But how to disarm an assailant. Of course. Move and fire, move and fire <laughs> and all the rest of it, yeah? Yeah. Right. Keep one in the barrel. Do you, do you want to hear some more of that? Of course. Right. An ex-SS soldier has revealed some top tips for surviving a terrorist knife attack. Former warrant officer... Warrant? What does that mean? What's a warrant officer? You should know this. I've literally no idea. Well, I, mean, I thought it was prisons. No. I assume a warrant officer is, is if you're... You get a warrant and go to something south. Possibly, I don't yeah. I don't know. John Geddes, 60, learned the best techniques to thwart, in his quote, in, in his words, active shooter incident. <laughs> right. During his 14-year career in the Elite Special Forces Unit. Does he say what... what now, did you know what I want you to say that? 14-year career in the Elite Special Forces Unit. That's impressive. Yeah. Does he say what conflict he was involved in? Um, or can he not? Is it too hush-hush? Probably too classified. You know what this also reminds me of now I'm talking about it? Do you remember the episode, another Alan Partridge thing, um, of Mid-Morning Matters where he has the guy on who's ex-SAS and talking about... Yeah, He's put uh, the, um, the, 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 the caves. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The father of three said the best tactic is to team up with others and overpower the attacker as a group. He said a briefcase to the head of the attacker could prove a good move, but throwing any liquid, hot or cold, into the face of the terrorist could, Rob, give you the upper hand. The expert expert said a pub garden umbrella could be used as a lance. (laughs) Brilliant. Wouldn't it just snap? Well, no, no, I think they're metal. Are they? Yeah. I thought they meant the little wooden ones. You know, you're getting cocktails. Uh, a little wooden I'm cocktail not sure if you're joking or not. <laughs> no. No, it's like a, like a parasol. 
Oh, he means the... I thought, he meant, like, I thought he meant the little umbrellas and the drinks. He thought he meant a cocktail umbrella. Yeah. Like, just stab the person with How it. close would you have to be to stab someone with a cocktail umbrella? to be umbrella? fair, Rob, to, to go run around and pick up a garden umbrella on that heavy base and everything... That's True. It, anyway, that's a good Could point. be used as a lance, a stool as a weapon, and a coffee in the face could give you time to violently attack. He said the worst thing. He said the worst thing to do, Rob, would be to stay on the floor unarmed, and that everyday objects used as weapons can be the difference between life and death. True. The security expert from Hereford, is it Hereford? Yeah. Yeah, Hereford. Said that if you are ambushed, you should make a rational, not emotional, decision to fight with whatever is close at hand. The former paratrooper has co-written, co-written the book "Be a Hero: An Essential Guide to Active Shooter Incidents," which is out <laughs> in August, and has a chapter on how to survive knife attacks. So he's not. Um, he's not making money off of these things at all. Mm. He said, they have to become momentarily medieval and fight in a group. You have to pick up whatever is around and throw it. You can only run so far and so fast, and for some people that isn't an option. So you have to fight. What you, what you should do depends on how the situation presents itself, but for the normal person taking on a knife with your bare hands, they've got no chance. If you're in a restaurant, you've got knives, forks, chairs and bottles. Throw them at the attacker and overpower them. Hang on. They bleed the same as you. Hang they on. are only human. I'm sorry to say, and I'm not doubting the credentials of this individual, <laughs> but there was a man in, in the restaurant, one of the restaurant owners, who yeah. did exactly this, yeah. and I'm pretty sure he doesn't have 14 years of special, special whatever. He's not saying you need 14 years. That's what he's saying. He's saying normal people could do this. Listen to him. He's saying anybody yes, could do he, this. Yes, but we don't need people like him to tell him that. If I was in a situation like that, I would be picking up every fucking thing I could find to throw No, Rob, you'd be hiding under the table, cowering. In a pool of your own piss and feces. Just listen. It's been half after I've overcome that. He says, pick up a table with others and throw it at them and follow it up with whatever you can find. A pint pot. We all know the damage some idiot in the pub can do with that. That's what people have to do collectively to defeat these perpetrators. Cold drinks are good too. Just throw them in his face, especially if they come in a good volume like beer. Liquid of any sort in the face is a big impediment to action. Now, Rob. Is the phrase "liquid of any sort" uh, "liquid of any sort" in the face is a big impediment to action? A good episode title. It's a great episode title. Yes. For a is. moment, you have to become a group of football hooligans. The very worst thing you can do is hide on the floor in the proximity of the attacker. If that's what you do, then you're going to be stabbed and shot. Which is a bit weird because he said this was about a knife attack. <laughs> I heard one example of the man in London talking about how he took them on with bottles and chairs and glasses. Yeah. I suspect the number of attackers and the number of people who were attacked it would have happened more than once. People must have fought back. John said mass knife attacks are most common in Europe, and there was no reason to doubt they would increase in frequency. He advises approaching. <laughs> he advises approaching the terrorists from behind and warns you shouldn't wrap a jacket round your arm for protection because it puts you in a negative, defensive position. Writing in his book, which doesn't sound terribly well written, I have to say, no. he said a computer bag is heavy and can make a devastating weapon, presumably if it's got something in it. And if cornered, can be used to protect from blows. From his chapter on knife attacks, he writes, When danger threatens, don't forget it's there on your shoulder. Be ready to be deployed. I think he's talking about a laptop bag. Use it Use it to keep the knife man at bay, or you'll become his six. Or flank, smash him on the head with it. This is very poorly written. I think he should have got somebody to edit this. This sounds like a man who's suffering from PTSD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Move side to side as you counter the blows aimed at you. Avoid moving backwards because sooner or later you're going to fall over something allowing the attacker to come above you and attack. He said a cup of coffee is perfect. Hurled into the perpetrator's face to scald and blind him. And whenever possible, you should go for the head. I don't think hot coffee in somebody's face would blind them. Momentarily it might. I think it would do some damage. Really? Table umbrellas make a good lance. Go for the face! And added, was one of the most useful weapons in a knife attack scenario is a chair or a stool held out in front of you. John, who is a married grandfather of five, was in the parachute regiment for ten years and then the SAS until he became a warrant officer in 1998. He now works in private security training. Of course he does. Be a Hero, the essential guide to active shooter incidents, co-written, co-written badly with 
Alan Rees is out on August the 1st and currently available to pre-order on Amazon for £11.67. It's a strange amount. I wonder if it's got a forward by Alan Names. <laughs> wow, could you imagine that? I just imagine that whoever's conducting the interview with Alan, occasionally he would just drift off and just be staying in his middle distance as he just relived the horrors again. <laughs> the horrors of active warfare. Now, Rob, we've got a listener story. But it's not just any old listener, because there's a good friend from work who we both know, because you used to uh, work kind of in his vicinity as well. Paul, Yep, he's called, and he's a great guy, big movie fan, big roller coaster fan, thrill seeker, I would say. Um, and he lives down in Chatham, and he has sent us a story from Kent Online, and it's a small one. Oh, it's too small. It's only a couple of paragraphs, but it's brilliant. By Ed McConnell. Mm. First ever story submitted by Paul who has often said to me, I don't listen to the podcast, but if I did listen to podcasts, yours would be the one I'd listen to. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> says, this is the headline, Dead Squirrel Scam. Two arrests made in Tunbridge Wells. Dead Squirrel Scam? Yeah, the mind boggles. Two people have been arrested following reports of a scam, Rob, involving a dead squirrel. Right. Kent police have been investigating a number of reports of a man knocking on doors in Tunbridge Wells and offering unnecessary roof repairs. On more than one occasion, he's said to have inspected the roof of a property before producing a dead squirrel and demanding money to, to clear a pest infestation. Have they confirmed it's definitely a dead squirrel or not a weasel or a martin? <laughs> Isn't that brilliant, though? So, look, I've inspected your roof and I found this. So he's just carrying this thing around in his pocket, Rob. I, I wonder how many... this for? <laughs> I mean, I suppose it doesn't matter, does it? You imagine it's this much. Do you, the worst thing What's happening, Rob? Is he having to kill one a day to keep up with his scan? Brilliant. Bloodlust. He goes out first in the morning as a BB rifle down a local park. <laughs> With a bag of nuts. Yeah. yeah. Today, officers arrested a 34-year-old man on, uh, from the town on suspicion of fraud by false representation. He's been bailed pending further inquiries until July the 5th. Again, that's a, a court case I'd love to be a fly on the wall for, <laughs> or a squirrel on the wall for. A 22-year-old woman also from the town was arrested on suspicion of fraud by false representation. She's been released pending further investigation. And that is it. Now, Brilliant. Paul, Brilliant. if you are, by any chance listening, any follow-ups to this amazing uh, squirrel story, please... Uh, Let's us know. Absolutely. Okay, Rob, you got a story for us. Yeah, I've got two. Um, the first one, I think in contrast to our first section, which was quite heavy, especially after the, uh, the terrorist attack was mentioned, we need something a bit more upbeat. So this is from the Croydon Advertiser. Uh, it's by uh, Sarah George. We haven't featured this paper in a while because I haven't looked at it. And also, why do you still even look at the Croydon Advertiser? I mean, you don't... You don't... You don't live there. No, I know, but sometimes I like to dip in and out. I mean, there's hey, a... Can we just talk about the podcast? Right. There's a lot of dross on the coin advertiser, I have to say. Yeah. I don't want to cause any slurs against the paper, but, I mean, it's probably true of most local papers. Anyway, this is a good news story, Alex. So, 33... I'm not going to read all of them because it's a lot. 33 simple things that make living in Croydon amazing. <laughs> can I guess some of them? Oh, you can try. Yeah, you know I like guessing games. Okay, so let me just... Did- Okay, I'll just go into the bit of the preamble at the beginning. No town is perfect. I mean, Croydon especially isn't. Croydon, no, Rob, you need to understand. Sorry, that's it. Croydon, didn't you know this? How did you not know this? Croydon's motto is no town is perfect. Is it really? No. Oh. <laughs> but can you imagine? <laughs> Croydon, no town is perfect. <laughs> Croydon, you've seen better. <laughs> uh, but sometimes you just have to stop and appreciate You've seen the better, but have you seen worse, question mark? <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, I used to live in Northamptonshire, and um, there's a town there called uh, Corby, which is mm-hmm. basically Corby's famous because it's heard of Cor- for railways, isn't it? 
Does that have to do with it? No. Corby Rail. Corby was steel. It was a steel town. Basically, right. it hadn't had quite a few Is it, steel Don't books. Corby make rail sets? A Corby rail set. Corby. No. You're thinking of Hornby? That's it. Right. A Corby trouser press. <laughs> Alan Partridge. <laughs> which I think is probably made up. I don't know. No, it's a real oh, thing. Right. I don't think it came from Corby either. Yeah. Anyway. So Corby was famous for, for its steelworks. Basically, a lot of people, a lot of it has a high Scottish population because when they opened uh, the steelworks, a lot of uh, uh, Scottish moved down to Corby to work in the steelworks. And if anyway. there was a, if there was a steelworks, that would have probably meant that iron brew was plentiful. Uh, true. Yeah. Made from girders. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I used to believe that when I was a kid. Did you really? Well, yeah. When I was a child, when I was three or four, if you've ever iron brew is made, made out of rust. Iron. No, you say iron brew made out of iron girders, and I used to think to myself, really. Why would I have disbelieved it? Why would people have lied to me? True. Yeah. Anyway, Rob, sorry. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, and anyway, what happened is, after all the steelworks closed down, Corby was one of these towns that the, the industry was knackered. Anyway, it's a bit of a rough place, Corby, and someone actually scored on the sign, Welcome to Hell. <laughs> oh, good Dante. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So it's the opening saying. line of, um, isn't No, I think... No, no, go on. Right. Um... So no, no town is perfect, but sometimes you just have to stop and appreciate the small things which make Corby a great place to live. Sure, people out from out of the borough argue Corby has a bad reputation, but that's only because they don't know what it's like to be here any longer than a flying visit. There's a reason for that. People don't choose to be there longer than a flying visit. Okay, right. So you want to try and guess some of these? The tram. Uh, oh, let's have a look. I don't think that's on there. Hang on, hang on. What are you talking about? 33 reasons the tram is not mentioned. The tram's not mentioned, no. Croydon Town Centre. Nope. Oh, hang on. Uh, well, it said Surrey Street Market. Not okay, it's not uh, Syria, Aleppo. No, <laughs> no. It's that not, ba- it's not Baghdad. Uh, no, no, that's, right. that's not on there. It, it, it's stories that are featured. We've featured some of these stories that have, have appeared. Okay, in go this on. List. Then, come on, give me the give me the thing. right. You're so, not going to do all of them. You're going to be here uh, a long time. No, I'm not going to do all of them. Okay, so uh, our parks are so nice that wild stags such as this one called Jeremy, who didn't want to leave Park Hill, are keen to move in. A stag turned up in Croydon. Yeah, apparently Where the so. fuck did the stag come from? God knows. Probably been stolen. <laughs> just played, put plonk there. Or it just got the coach down from the New Forest. Yeah, or the tram. Or the tram. Well, tram doesn't um, go to the New Forest, as far as I understand it. No, that's true. Uh, we are home to the world's largest pop-up urban saffron farm. <laughs> hey. Sorry, for any of our internationalists, or anybody who just doesn't know what Croydon is, this is making Croydon sound like it's somewhere in the country. It's not. It's a suburb on the outskirts of London. And also, the world's, the world's largest pop-up saffron... The world's largest pop-up urban saffron farm. It's a good episode, Tom. Yeah. Um, and the farm will be turned into a giant uh, LGBT rainbow flag and flowers and art this summer for uh, Pride Fest. Right. Is a stag going to be part of that? Doesn't say. Right. I hope it is. Um... We've been hopes and characters over the years, such as, this, such as this chap who fixed a giant fish to his roof. Uh, right. Uh, it's, he's put a swordfish on his roof. I'm not entirely sure why, but he's... Can I just say for this is that it's not just any old swordfish, it is absolutely gigantic. It's like the size of a whale. Yep, uh, that's fair to say. I don't know how that's staying there. If that falls off, somebody's getting, somebody's getting skewered by that swordfish. Well, yeah. Because he's standing right in a position... If, know, I mean, it. if that fell off, that would kill someone without yeah, a doubt. yeah. Um, even when they don't mean, to, even when our residents don't mean to make us smile, such as as when Selsden resident unwittingly pruned a tree in the garden so it looked like a giant penis. Got a picture of that? Yep. Does look like a giant penis? Oh my god! I mean, I don't know how he didn't uh, spot literally that. a giant bulbous penis, listeners. Um, Maybe it's intentional. Yeah. Now this goes back a bit. You may remember this story. I remember everything. We have our very own Prince Harry, the happiest man in Croydon. 
Yes, you stand at the roundabout. Yeah, that's right. And he looked, uh, had his uh, giant sunglasses. The Elton John sunglasses, yeah. yeah. He made everyone's visits to the scrapyard in Pearlyway brighter with his huge ring, giant sunglasses and floppy hat. This is making Croydon sound literally insane. Yeah, it does. Well, you say that and we come to this. It's like Coney Island. <laughs> Our residents protest in style. Who can forget the nearly naked protest- protester who glued a bum to Debenhams? In the name of migrants' rights. Yeah, you read that story. Yeah, that was that was yeah. only a few weeks ago. We have Morris dancers before. Uh, uh, we have Morris. Can I just say the story of the woman, um, um, the woman story supergluing her ass to Demons' window was not a few weeks ago, Rob. It was about five months ago. You read that was story. It? Yes. It oh was. God, Jesus Christ! Okay. Yeah, I think it was around Christmas time. Uh, I lose track of time quite easily. Yeah. Um, we uh, even our political leaflets are pretty unique. So. Uh, it says, you, I saw this on, on uh, Twitter actually, the Tories hold Croydon by 165 votes. That's literally it. Even your dad's got more, uh, even your dad's got more Facebook friends. Oh God, like. if the Tories hold Croydon, 165 votes. Yeah, that's it. Croydon could be laid by the end of this evening. And I'm not going to anymore, but that's the, some of the crazy things uh, that, make that make Croydon a great place to live. And my second story was kind of doing the rounds on Twitter, and I had to feature it. This is from the Calgary News. So Calgary? In, yeah. Where is that? It's in the US. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But where? Oh, no, sorry. It's in Canada, I do. But, oh, sorry. So this is from the, the Canada Press, but it features Calgary. Right, okay. Man who mowed lawn with t- tornado behind him says he was keeping an eye on it. Yeah, I know this story. I've seen, seen it. I've seen him. He's just mowing. Yeah, but to be fair, apparently this twister... Is actually going in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a way off. But the picture, which anybody who hasn't seen it, is actually stunning that the wife took, because it's him just with a lawnmower in the corner, of, uh, like just mowing silently in the corner with this raging tornado behind him. Yeah. It's a very stunning image. A man, uh, a photo of a man in Alber- uh, Alberta mowing a lawn with a tornado circling behind him has caused a, uh, a bit of a storm on social media. Uh, Cecilia Wessel... Snapped them the picture of her husband, the Lewis, strange name, on Friday evening as the twister passed near their home in Three Hills. She says cutting the grass was on her husband's to-do list and he started the task. She went for a nap. Wessel says she was woken by her nine-year-old daughter who was upset there was something like a tornado in the sky, but her father wouldn't come inside. Uh, the Lewis Wessel said the tornado was much further away than it appeared in the photo and that it was, it was moving away from them. There have been no reports of injuries in the tornado, although some of the photographs shows down trees and a barn with its roof torn off. I literally took the picture showing my mum and dad in South Africa. Look, there's a tornado, and now everyone's saying, "Why is your husband mowing the lawn?" <laughs> and uh, do you know what he said? I had to get it done. Yeah, I had to get it done. Um, a whole street, uh, a whole street. Everyone was on their back patio taking pictures. I mean, you would do. I think I would do in that situation. Um, <laughs> the tornado in moved away to the east it looks much closer if you look at the photograph but it's really far away well not really that far far away but it was far away from us he said I was keeping an eye on it I uh, love that story yeah it's great and if anybody hasn't seen the picture go online and look at it now Rob I'm gonna, I've got a story for us but as you know I do like uh, been trying to keep us updated recently on what's going on in uh, magazines like Chats Magazine oh, and those God, kind of right, things yeah, so okay. I took a picture today now for anybody who doesn't know like maybe our international listeners, we have these sort of magazines which are kind of meant to be for kind of women. Maybe they are for, for women, aren't they? Really? Uh, yeah, I think I don't think that's that's maybe 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 at home or something or whatever. It's, I think some people have a lot of time on their hands. A lot of time on their hands, and they are really I find them to be very inappropriate because they're the colours on the front of them are all very gaudy. They almost look like a children's magazine. Yeah, and yet they will put 
very disturbing headlines in a way that make it seem trivialised. Yeah. So would you like to know what's going on in chat this week, Rob? Of course Rob? I would, Alex, of course. Okay, my latest torture, horror in the woods, raped as my mum called my name. Uh, that's the main story. What's really worse is I was about to make a joke then. I do mm-hmm. apologise. Tampon terror, just 14 and fighting for her life. Deliver ooh, didn't dad do well? Story about a dad delivering a baby. Right. Justice, chewing gum, trapped my girl's killer. Which is a great headline. Okay. Uh, heart attack as I carried my baby and sliced open by Womb Raider. Which was probably about make... somebody cutting somebody's baby out of their stomach. But why would you make a pun about that? Yeah. 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 I know. Uh, anyway, so that's what's going on in Chat Magazine. Oh, good to know, uh, Alex. Thank you for the my, update. My next story is uh, from The Guardian. And I hope you didn't see this. It's a great story. Um, a great story. And it's from Canada as well, Rob. Oh, okay. And uh, it's from the 6th of June by Ashifa Kassam, Toronto. Here we go. Uber Eats. Couple who ordered pizza get party and mouldy sandwiches. You heard this story? <laughs> no. Uber has said it's investigating after a Toronto couple complained that Uber Eats brought them not the two pizzas and sodas they had ordered, but instead brought them two mouldy sandwiches, one of them partially eaten, and a salad that appeared to have been made days earlier. <laughs> The delivery, ordered by Anna Kotlikova and Blake Weinzettel on Sunday evening, arrived more than 30 minutes late and stuffed into a large brown bag. The couple opened it to find two decaying sandwiches alongside a few unidentifiable yellow patties and utensils that had already been opened. The smell overwhelmed the whole room, uh, she told the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I don't know where the driver got this mysterious big brown bag with an order number, which wasn't even our order number, or the order number from the restaurant. (laughs) The pair called the Montana's restaurant they had ordered from to find out what had happened. They were told by the manager that the order had been put together as usual and handed over to the Uber Eats driver. The restaurant later said it had received another, almost identical complaint on the same night. It was the first time anything like this had ever happened, said the manager, who said the restaurant had filed an official complaint with Uber. Rob, look at this picture of what they got. That's absolutely foul. I mean, they are literally green with mould. Um, hints as to what might have happened could lie on the roundabout, in the roundabout route the driver seemingly took during the delivery. After they placed the order, the app sent her alert saying the pizzas they had ordered were en route, but noted that the driver was at least 15 minutes away, despite the restaurant being around the corner. I don't know where this guy was driving to, because he definitely did go somewhere, she said. And where is this old food coming from? And why is he doing this? The couple turned to Uber in the hopes of answering some of their questions. Instead, they said they received a scripted response, a refund and a $25 Canadian dollar voucher. So we don't know if he regularly drives for Uber. We have no idea. That's why we wanted Uber to have a sense of urgency and figure this out and at least update us on what's going on. Uber told CBC that the driver had a rating of 4.8 out of 5 and this was his first such complaint they had heard about him. We're reviewing this order and reaching out to both the restaurant and the driver to understand what may have happened. Any ideas, Rob? Yeah, it's quite clear what happened. He okay. ate a pizza and then found, and then happened to find under his driver's seat this mouldy old sandwich that he forgot was there. Or digged it out of the bin, of course. Or digged it out of the bin, yeah. I mean, are we under any delusion that that driver ate that pizza? No. Or, also, just another point. I, I've never used, I mean, I've never even used, oh no, I have used Nube, I have used Nube before. If the takeaway was just around the corner. Get off your fucking arse and go and pick yeah, it up. Absolutely. Okay, Rob, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous saying it's time for our listener story of the week because we've already had one and I've got another one right here. Lovely. And this is from Jack, who's been updating us with stories from his Asian sex tour. And he sent us a few and hopefully we'll, I'll get through them over the next few weeks. This, this is brilliant. Right. Again, from the Tokyo <laughs> reporter. And the reason I'm making those noises is because Tokyo reporter, for mysterious reasons, 
has in its logo two bullet holes in glass. I think also maybe just just you know ease up on the Tokyo, maybe just say Tokyo. But I didn't say Tokyo this time, did I? I said Tokyo Reporter. No, no. The Tokyo Reporter. So, <laughs> yeah, you did it again there. Just yeah. To, right. Okay. Grain Japan. Uh, sorry, this is March twenty first, two thousand seventeen. Grain Japan boosts demand for porn featuring elderly starlets. <laughs> what? Tokyo. It has been no secret that Japan is a rapidly ageing society. Over the past decade, the condition has impacted everything from political policy to corporate strategy. The adult video, in brackets, AV industry, is apparently not an exception. According to Diamond Online, the nation's elderly men, whose life expectancy currently exceeds 80, are increasingly eschewing... Is that fair? fair, isn't it? Yeah, eschewing yeah. productions featuring a young starlet in favour of those with a so-called, in quotes, super mature woman, who by definition is at least 60. Sorry, so this story is the fact that elderly women, uh, elderly women, elderly men are looking for porn with the younger women. No, elderly men are eschewing porn that has young oh, people. Oh, I see. Me, they're they actually want, looking they for mature porn su- stars. No, not just mature, super mature women. For, in, for insight, Diamond speaks with a clerk at a rental shop in the capital who says most buyers of second-hand DVDs tend to be senior citizens. Sorry, second-hand DVDs. Yeah, porn DVDs, second-hand. Yeah. <laughs> I, <okay>. They come <laughs> to the store. To finish that sentence, they come to the store first thing in the morning and snap up releases from sale bins for between 50 and 300 yen a pop. And I don't think a pop is a euphemism. <laughs> it's not unusual to see Grandpa bulk buying over 10 releases in one go and sort after titles, sell out by noon most of the time. Oh my god! <laughs> when it comes bulk to. Bulk buying porn? <laughs> Are you fucking men. kidding me? When it may be that guy that you saw with the trolley that time was on his way back from Tokyo. Possibly. When it comes to female stars, seniors are more in demand than young newcomers. Again, not euphemism. A 74-year-old regular even said there's no point in watching the young ones having sex and only rents titles featuring mature or super mature women. Estimates released in September of last year by the Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications revealed that the number of people aged 65 or older hit a record 64.61 million, or 27.3% of the population. Fuck. According to Diamond, the keen demand for senior adult video actresses is likely a direct result of this greying of society. Most customers that visit the video rental shop tend to be no more than 70. If you're any older than that, you'll be ordering titles through mail order catalogues for health reasons. Uh, this is what the owner says. I think it's also fair to say that I, I can only imagine it is the older generation who would actually visit video shops anyway. The youngsters tend to look at the porn online, so yes. I hear. An older cu- our oldest customer is a 103-year-old man who bought a title featuring a woman in her 60s. Pervert. <laughs> Elderly adult video fans preferred. I love this phrase. You, I need you to help me understand it. Okay. Elderly adult video fans prefer DVDs to digital downloads due to a greater familiarity with the technology. Now, unless I'm very much mistaken, DVDs, because I bought probably the first DVD ever, came out in around, well, 1997, 1998. Yeah, so how the fuck were they? They're familiar with gramophones, not DVDs. No. You're making a, you're making a, a, a generalisation there. They have just got to grips with DVDs. Now they want to, they want to move away from it. It's taken them twenty years yeah, to, okay. to how to operate that Longer, little tray that comes out. You put the DVD in, and so digital downloads just out of the question. A new market has developed over the past eight years, with the productions being referred to as JK, an abbreviation for Jukunan Korishia, or the mature elderly woman. The label is a tongue-in-cheek designation, since it can also apply for 
joshy, cossay, or high school girls. The keen interest has been a bright spot in the overly flaccid adult video oh, industry, God. whose size today is just over one-fifth of its heyday. I don't think these puns are intentional. That being the peak of the VHS era, era around two decades ago. A producer of Ru- Ruby, a, venetra- a venerable label specialising in productions featuring mature women, good episode title, mm. says that performers in their 60s have been more popular in recent years. A debut of good-looking actresses hitting their 60th birthday will usually hit at the top of the charts that month, the producer has said. Titles featuring women in their 50s made a big impact 10 years ago, but this has been sliding back in accordance with the rising life expectancy. Many enthusiasts are solely interested in actresses above 60, according to the producer. The fan base for a particular actress isn't just men in her generation or beyond. This has nothing to do with the Oedipus complex, she says. Rather, it's men in their 40s to 50s who like mature women. Everyone tells me she's just a kid if she's in her 50s. Such demand has resulted in intensive searches for performers beyond the golden age of 60, but the industry continues to find that supply is lagging behind. More middle-aged women have been inquiring about wanting to appear in adult video productions, but most are in their 50s. A lot of them weren't saying stuff like, I want money. Instead, they were being urged by their cookhold husband or had had an interest in experiencing a pro's skills. Finding talent is even more challenging once you get into the 70s and 80s. The hurdle rises even further when considering that shoots can be all-day ordeals that demand stamina and endurance. You could break all, a hip. All-day ordeals that demand stamina and endurance is a very good episode title. Can I just say, I just imagine... Can I rock, really... can I say, actresses, actresses do need to be healthy and free from cardiovascular disease and soft joints. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. Health, healthy and free from cardiovascular diseases and soft joints. A very good episode yeah. title. Go on. I just imagine these, uh, you know, these these producers these, uh, of these films walking into like residential homes and just walking. In. <laughs> hey, Grandma, do you want to be a star? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mo- Mo- Morai Tezuka, known for some, no, for some time as Japan's oldest adult video actress, made her debut at seventy-one. Is there a picture of her? At seventy-one. Seventy-one. Yes, yeah, so that's her debut. Label Ruby released her retirement DVD in January when she was at the age of eighty. It all started after I got to know somebody in the AV production they invited me to make an appearance. Tezuka enjoyed unprecedented popularity in the super mature market, using skills honed in the entertainment industry. She was once an opera singer to take on a variety of adult video productions. What's the crossover there? Work oh, with maybe the, she work can with open wider, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. the veteran had no qualms about com- becoming completely naked on the set and took just as easily to performing with several men, this despite her only previous experience with a man being her former husband. It was lively and fun on the set, Tezuka said. I mean, it's work after all. You just have to do your best when you're in the spotlight. Three years ago, Tezuka announced that she would go on for another decade three years ago, but decided to retire because shoots became difficult when the male actor wasn't my type. She was also rebuked by a lover, 30 years her junior, who she was meeting about once or twice a month. So he rebukes her, Rob. The more she experienced how different her sexual acts were on the job compared to in private, the more shoots became painful. I was never in it for the money anyway. I felt like it was a turning point, she said. I have no regrets at all because I worked hard. But according to Suzuka, some in the industry described her retirement as a waste and requested that she come back. I was at a loss, she remembers. I told them I'd think about it when the time comes, but I guess that would depend on who the other actor is. Tezuka experienced shoots that were delayed well into the night because male actors had trouble performing, making her realise that male actors really do have it tough. I was shocked to hear that they get tested and then have to train. In fact, actors are in greater demand than actresses in the mature market, with the shortage for male performers being robbed at extreme levels. There just aren't that many candidates to play the parts of senior men in scenarios involving elderly couples, the aforementioned producer says. There might be some people saying they'll be up for it when they retire, but few can ensure they can raise it up for a long time. That's five minutes of my life that I never really thought that I would experience. Um, I don't really know where to go with that now, really. Jack, if you've consumed any of that material, let us know what it's like. Mm, Good to hear from you. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Enjoy the sex tour. Rob. I mean, 
we've often said how this podcast tends to dovetail into stories, and yet no. again, no, it's kind of. I don't know. It just seems to fit in quite nicely. So this Pardon is from exactly. Uh, this is from Jack. No, it's not. It's from Kyber. I do apologise, Kyber. Kyber, who sells crystals on a market in Derby. That's correct. Yes, yes. So this is from the Derby Telegraph, as always. Uh, it's by George Allen uh, from the 20th of May. Headline. Dirty pictures found in Derby charity shop. Who can, <laughs> who can reunite, the, reunite them with their owner? That does dovetail in very nicely. And Rob, Rob and I don't plan anything. as should be evident to anybody who listens to this. That's amazing. Tell me the story. A charity shop is hoping to find... I want to know what charity shop. It does tell you. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm thinking if there's an appropriate. I one don't think it's it's. Uh, oh, it's, okay. <laughs> wasn't Sue Ryder, was it? Hey, very good, very good. No, it was Cancer Research. Was it? No. Oh. <laughs> a Derby charity shop is hoping to find the owner of some explicit photographs after an, al- an album containing pictures of men in compromising positions was accidentally donated. Right. Can I just clarify? Isn't every shop in Derby a charity shop? I mean, have you been to Derby? I've been to Blackburn. I mean, they're, they're quite a few miles apart. Maybe making generalisations. I've never been to Derby either, but uh, so let's say yes. Uh, volunteers in the Sproston shop said, uh, shop, in the Sproston shop, didn't know what to say when a customer, customer sheepishly pointed out the vintage photographs uh, hidden inside an album which was up for sale. Vintage? So vintage, wow. Yeah. Have we got pictures? No. Oh. <laughs> no, unfortunately not, no. I don't want to see that. I'll show you what, I'll tell you why. The pictures, which showed uh, exposed men in pornographic poses wearing women's laundry, were discovered this week in the Sun, the, the Sand Sun and Special Needs in, in Chapel Street. Never heard of that charity brand, but fine. Is it? I don't know. Something about that. Sun, Sand Sun and Special Needs. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a charity shop for special people with special needs. It also does holiday bookings. Possibly. <laughs> it also sounds like a show that would be on, on BBC Three. <laughs> now, the shop's... <laughs> Very true. Online only now, of course. Of course. Now, the shop's owner, Michael for that, Ryan... For that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's banned. Uh, now, the shop's owner, Michael Ryan, is offering a no-questions-asked amnesty for the owners to come in and collect their photographs, of which most are too explicit to show in the, in the Derby Telegraph. You said most. Well, there's no pictures on here that I can see. All right, research. Oh, wait. Um, hang on. Oh, maybe the picture hasn't loaded. Oh, well, you, you try and find the market. Well, hang on, Derby, hang on, Derby. Was it Derby? Derby, Derby Telegraph. Charity shop. Dirty pictures, shop. charity shop. Pornographic. God knows what I'm going to get up here. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be... Dirty picture would be better. Um, Mr. Ryan said, I haven't got a clue. Yes, I've got the... I've got a picture. Oh, have you? Okay. But it's not... It's nothing. It's n- nothing no, to... No, uh, no, no, I'll get rid of that. Okay. Mr. Ryan said, I haven't got a clue where they came from or how long they've been in here. When I saw them, to be honest, I just laughed. We want to re- reunite them with their owners. The best thing we could possibly do. They could have been... Uh, they could have been... I think they were given to a charity shop for a reason. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, they could have been precious photographs. I don't think they were. Mr. Rice, the charity shop volunteer, was completely aghast when the couple who were browsing in the store stumbled across the pictures uh, and brought them up to the counter. He said, it was a, he said it was a young couple, actually. They went over to one of the volunteers and said, I'm really sorry, but there were some explicit photographs in here. Uh, I can just imagine what the customer thought when they saw them. The volunteer didn't know what to say. Uh, he said the whole album had been emptied, but the photographs, uh, but the pages with the photographs had got stuck together. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> stuck together or something, so we didn't see them. <laughs> oh, the other pictures were all emptied out, but these ones were still in there. Sounds like somebody else emptied out. Uh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
there's only one uh, comment I can read out from Darby Free, who just says, uh, I need to have a look at them to tell if they're mine or someone else I know. Lol. I re- Yeah, because to me, you know sometimes things to chess shops get donated after somebody's died. Do you know what I mean? You just take their belongings down to a charity shop, don't you? So we're talking about possibly a man who's deceased in a pornographic pose wearing women's pictures. Uh, pictures? Wearing women's lingerie. I think those might go down well in Japan. Possibly, yeah. So maybe we could... Uh, maybe there's a market for it. Maybe so we Jack, could... ring the charity shop owner. Tell them that they're yours. He'll send them out to you. And we'll split the profits. And we'll split the profits. Whatever there is to be made. Mm. Well, on that note, thank you, Kaiba. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Paul, for those wonderful stories. Uh, there's going to be more next week. We bring this episode of Local Anesthetic Podcast, Rob, to a close. Slightly shorter this week, because it's election night. Yeah. The reason it's shorter is Rob has got to get back home and vote. I mean, you're in a largely Tory constituency, aren't you? I am, yes. And Does I'm it just, have uh, any hope of swinging? Uh, and when yeah. I say swinging, I mean changing to uh, uh, Labour. I think it's highly unlikely. But your vote may count, Rob. Exactly, yeah. I vote for the Green Party. Are you? No. Right. No. That'd be a wasted vote, Alex. Uh, so anyway... We, on that note, we bring this episode of Local Anesthetic Podcast to a close and we look forward with a mixture of eager anticipation yet trepidation to our next episode, which will be episode 213. Mm. And all that remains, Rob... No, it doesn't, because we're moving ever more forward. I apologise. <laughs> moving ever more forward like... Like... Uh, <coughs> like a... Uh, like a... A man growing... Uh, growing? A man mowing his lawn... With a tornado blustering in the background? I don't know if, don't know if, don't know if you mind me saying, but that's rubbish. Right. Uh, moving ever more forward, like, like, like a man hunting squirrels in the morning to, to, so he can give himself a reason to say somebody's got a problem with their roof. That's rubbish as well. They're all rubbish. It is, you're right. Just like those rubbish reasons, we move ever more forward to our next episode, which will be episode 213. And all that remains, Rob! <laughs> All that remains, Rob, is to remind people where we can be found. LA, uh, we can be found on our website, which is lapodcast.net. Uh, on the top right-hand corner, you'll find a, um, a donate button there. You can download all of our previous episodes from there. Um, but also, if you've got an iDevice or an Android device, go onto your podcast app, search for LA Podcast or Local Anesthetic Podcast or Alex and Rob. You'll find it there. Uh, we're on Twitter at, at LA Podcast. Um, we are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash LA Podcast. So if you want to send us a story, you can tweet it to us. You can post it on Facebook or you can email us a good old-fashioned way at lapodcast.net at gmail.com. And if you want to look at our YouTube videos, we've got a few of them which have been getting an increasing amount of views, go to YouTube, go to that search bar and just put in LA Podcast. Our channel will come up and check out all those videos. Oh, yeah. We need to say goodbye. We need to say goodbye, Rob, don't we, to this so episode. <laughs> Bye, Rob. Bye, episode. I'm not taking the park or any other third places. Fuck off. Well, can I come over for no. tea then? What about tea? No. I like Mr. No. Kipling jam tarts. Buy me some. No. Please? No. Why not? <laughs> no. Take me to vote. No. Take me to vote. No. I'm going to vote Tory. Of course you are. Tory. Bye. Tory or UKIP? I haven't decided which yet. I'm a swing voter. Bye. Right, well, that brings that episode to a close. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. God bless. And keep it local.